Hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of pals get together and talk about a couple of games. Uh, the voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. Uh, Mr. Andy MacArthur. Karichiwa. And special guest this week, bringing our fucking Michael content on the show higher than it has ever fucking been. You're getting more <laughs> Mick for your money in this episode than any previous episode. We have Mr. Mick McMenemy. Hello. <laughs> Should we get more Mick's in Port Glasgow this week? It's just going to be a whole load of conversations. Like, I enjoyed that, Mick. What did you think, Mick? Well, Mick, I thought it was really easy to understand. Combined, we've got six Mick's here today. <laughs> including the including the surname bits. Aye. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, no, seven. Incredible. There seven. you go. One time on Sucky Hall Street, me and McCormick befriended this guy for fucking. He was like Guatemalan or something, and he just was pissing his cell laughing. That he kept he kept calling McCormick Mick Mick or Mick. He was like, which is it, <laughs> Mick Mick or Mick? <laughs> <laughs> so McMenemy, what we usually do. Where our guests is try to ascertain a wee bit about your your kind of background in a computer gaming, you know, what you grew up playing, what sort of games you like, your favourite games. There is an ulterior motive here, listener, in that McMenemy is one of the few people, I believe in history, to have owned a Philips CDI. Yeah, with great success as well. How did that come about? <laughs> Uh, highlights from that uh, amazing console. It's really got a reputation of being one of the greatest kind of engineering achievements of, of modern times. There was a really, really good tennis game. <laughs> it's the best tennis game. Well, I like Tennis Ace on the Master System, but it was a bit cartoony. But this, there's no tennis games ever came close to it. Best tennis game I ever played. Can't remember the name yet, but it was the only one available on the CDI, so you'd, easy enough to find it. Well, I'm I'm interested in knowing how the fuck you even you even ended up with that fucking thing. Um, well, my granny won the lottery. Um, when I was nine. Um, not not the full whack, but she got five numbers up. Um, my granny actually got five numbers in the lottery twice. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, first time she got the first five, and then was like two numbers out for the sixth as well. But she she um got five numbers in the lottery. So um, I was nine. Um, my sister would have been 11 at the time and um, we stayed with my granny um, and it was decided that we would she would use that money for her and us to to go to Australia um, to see my uncle and we stayed there for about two and a bit months 10 weeks or something um, and that was grand and obviously like she had other wains apart from my ma so they all got a bit of money each as well um, we came back for Australia and we were there, we were there over Christmas um, so when we came back, we had like this extra Christmas in February. We all, the, you know, with my mom and that, and they just whipped out a CDI, and like, oh, as a Christmas present, like for me and my sister, a tweeners, and I had no idea what it was. Like I, I could tell by the packaging that it was like a computer, you know, like to play games on. Um, I never heard it before. Um, my mom, yeah, I've asked her recently. She's getting no idea why she got it. I think what's happened is my mom is like being given some money off my granny, and she's went into a probably fucking hour price or something, and went a salesman. Aye, what, what's what's a good gaming console? And they've been like, oh, this is a brand new one, Philips CDI, um, <laughs> and she's just bought it. 
Um, so, I, but was, I went in to get one of the fucking PlayStations and fucking sold, sold the cow for magic beans. <laughs> no, no, this is what you want. I've, I've got a bonus if you have for service. So you have to take one of these, one of them ones. <laughs> I don't know, like, I've not, like, researched this or anything, but from memory, it would have been... CDI came out before uh, the PlayStation and the... Christ, would have been the N64 at that point? Um, yeah. But it would have been after, like, your um, your Mega Drive and that. It was sort of... It wasn't quite the next generation. It was this weird in-betweeny bit. Uh, it was that strange kind of hinterland where they, yeah. they had CD drives, but they didn't really know what to do with them yet. Well, they... A thirty-two X and a Sega CD and all that. Andy Aye. always goes on about this. Aye. Atari Jaguar was the other one, I think, wasn't it? Um, Aye, that lovely that piece of kit. Aye. But it, it, it was doomed to failure because it wasn't just a gaming thing. It was like, oh, this is this is your whole home entertainment system. You can play CDs on it. You can play films on it. Um, it was like film CDs. It wasn't DVDs. So it was like you still needed two of them to stop it halfway through. So nobody wanted to play films on it you just wanted to put a video in so you didn't need to get back your arse halfway through but the idea that like a whole family would be fine with this being on the big telly it's like no I want to play the computer my sister wants to listen to music my mom wants to watch a film but we can't audit at the same time but that's what they were trying to sell it as is like you won't need like three different things you can audit only one thing and you're like well, no you can't uh, because yeah. only hook up to the one fucking telly <laughs> aye the other thing I mean about it was um, the time Nintendo, just like Sega done, was going to stop making consoles. They were just going to go into game production. And the plan was for all the Nintendo stuff to come out on Philips. That's why it's got the Mario and Zelda games. Um, so all those great N64 games were supposed to be on the CDI, in theory. But when that, I don't know why that never happened, but obviously when it didn't happen, there was just fuck all on the CDI apart from this tennis I mean, game. <laughs> this is what it's fucking known for, isn't it? It's like a weird internet meme hang, Hotel Mario, and these fucking really weird looking Zelda games. Weird Zelda right? games. Aye. Um, but you, you actually. Oh, mad you animation, had, man. Like, some of the animation's <laughs> fucked up, on it? But you actually had uh, Hotel Mario. Yeah, I completed Hotel Mario, mate. <laughs> is that the one with the doors? Aye. Uh, it, it was fucking annoying. Like, you'd get up to the, like, it's whole, it's a, each screen, and there was, like, different levels and worlds and all that sort of shit. But, like, each screen would maybe have four or five um, rows of doors. Some would be open, some wouldn't But once you'd shut all the doors, that's when you went on the next level. But you would See, get the first I, row and you get the secondary row. When you're in the third row, suddenly I'd be fucking mushroom would pop at the bottom one so you'd need to go back down to get that and the amount of times that you would have all the doors shut apart from one and by the time you went to get it another one would pop up it was just frustrating rather than enjoyable but you know that way it's like you're like no I'm, I'm going to get all these fucking doors I've started but nah it wasn't enjoyable just a- is this one of these games that could have been like anybody any game but they just had the Mario IP and just put Pasting yeah. Mario on it. But I mean, Aye. you could do that for any Mario game. These days, there's like a kind of sign of quality for Nintendo are quite um, sort of strict about who gets to, to use Mario and Link and all that in their games because it's a kind of. Nintendo's a kind of seal of quality that I think you that's didn't a really get back in those days. You could just get anyone could just fucking make a Mario game they were fine with. That's a direct fucking consequence of the CDI, I reckon. They are far oh. fucking more precious and guarded with their stuff. Like. <laughs> 
I quite like the Zelda animations, man. I'm not going to lie, they're a bit mental. Like that, see the bit when the, like, the king kind of liquidizes into this horrible goo and It's mental. It's just like kind of non American kind of uh, animation, man. It's quite cool. I don't know if it's British or but You showed me some Soviet stuff, man. It could be made sort of along M lines. I think you said, Mick, that it was a Russian animation company that did some of the. I think it was at you know that period of the nineties where fucking I don't know Russia was just the wild west and you could get fucking <laughs> cheap work done there. Um, I think that explains why the Zelda cartoons look the way they do. Other than other than all this kind of fucking weird shit, do you have like fond memories of it? Like, do you remember things you actually quite like playing as a way? Other than uh, a tennis game, which I don't know, I don't want to pigeonhole you. But um, did this tennis have like um, kind of realistic pervert graphics? Was it like the Anna Kornikova PS One tie-in game? Or <laughs> no, you, you you didn't even get to see your like pick your guy. You just gave my name, and then there was like only three opposition players. There was like German guy, a Spanish guy, and I think the other guy was a Yank. What was good about it is they all had very different techniques, so I could easily beat some of them on the grass, but I was fucked in the the clay and stuff like that. Um, you had, I was never able to like beat all three of the guys. Um, it was like surprisingly tactical for a, you know a tennis game. You just run over and like hit the button. And it goes over the net. Aye. This was actually quite tactical. You need to you need to have. Go, that's why I liked it. Um, but the other games, I like what the, I like Burn Cycle, which was an FMV game, which is just a weird sort of Johnny Mnemonic Blade Runner style rip off. Um, I never managed to finish it though. Um, it was only like ten at the time. But I liked that one. There was Seventh Guest, which was a creepy game. We all ghosts. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Really good puzzles. I thought. I had. I've I've played Seventh Guest. Um, I as as Mick was saying as well. The fucking uh, it came out in PC. I remember a a a puzzle where you had to cut a cake up or something. It was fucking weird. It was guests at the house. I guess. (laughs) One of the things about the CD. So one of the things about the CDI I remember uh, is that it never had like, a standardised design. Like there was, I think it was only like the blueprint that they copyrighted. So like they could companies like Sony or Philips or whatever could uh, sort of create their own like device and their own shape, and their own control pad. It was never like a, a kind of standard format, like you know a VCR. Like you know, wasn't it just one company that made those? They could. Um, that was like any company could make one but as long as it supported the same kind of software right? same capabilities of the um, of the hardware but um, I think it didn't really it didn't really take off I think for, yeah, as you say Philips and Sony had their own models of them but they were expecting it to be as, like, as ubiquitous as a video recorder and people's houses and they were turned out that way this meant it was had a weird anomaly and like there was no standardised controller I think most games just had two buttons like an A and a B so you had like a control pad that looked like a spoon you had a control pad that was kind of based on a SNES pad and a NES pad. You know, there was kind of, there was no sort of standardised kind of agreed hardware to go along with it, which is kind of weird, man. Not seen that before. Yeah, when we I got it, 3DO we, might have had that. we had the, the spoon one, which I suppose is like, ah. it reminds me a bit of the, um, the Amazon Fire Stick now. Um, ah. The sort of setup there, it's like, you know, the tracker thing in the middle. But we did eventually buy like a, a proper control pad for it that had three buttons, but it I can't remember any games that required the third button. <laughs> just all two buttons. <laughs> yeah, it's probably because most controllers only came with two. So, you were talking about a Master System there as well. Did you make a jump for fucking Master System to CDI without Mega Drive in the middle? 
No, no, we had a Mega Drive. Um, right. We've got Mega Drive second hon. Can't mind now. Um, unless the Master System was second hon. I know there wasn't much period between the three. Like, we didn't get them, like, when they were released or whatever. So, one of the Sega ones we got was second hon. It was either the Master System not long before the Mega Drive came out or the Mega Drive quite a bit after it came out. Aye. Whatever way, I that, don't know if that makes sense, but there wasn't much space between the three of them. Yeah. What's your What's your highlight from the kind of? Because I would be remiss in my fucking dynamite neddy duties if I didn't ask about your your Sega era highlights. Uh, Mega Drive was uh, Road Rash Two. Uh, Plus. Um, FIFA International. Um, oh, aye. And Micro Machines. Oh, oh aye, fucking aye. The, the most. The most uh, fu- that's a, a, Micro Machines is a fucking telesmasher. That is one of the most frustrating games ever made. I, I'd happily play that now for hours on end. It was. It holds up really well. Where you could put the four controllers in. And Aye. Oh, loved it, mate. Two in a cart. Aye. Well, that was uh, before multi taps, wasn't it? Before yeah. multi taps, you had the. You just went directly right into the cartridge. It was like a kind of dome shape, wasn't it? A dome shape cartridge. Aye. Same me and this is we're playing bike machines a couple of weeks back, man. It holds up. Remember, it was like left goes right and right goes left and shit, man. That's what I, I really remember about it. But I do remember the level that was really cool was when you were on top of the desk and it had all the ramps and shit on it, man. No, like see, the, the desk level, the, the worktop level with the saws and that. Anything where you would just skate off it fucking time after time. You know, you take a wee <laughs> corner, you take a cheeky lead ahead of your pals or whatever, then just fly right off the desk. Fuck that, man. You did a fly off the table one was bad for that. You bounced as you went. <laughs> yeah. Aye. Then you just made that wee puff of smoke when you hit the deck. No. <laughs> oh, great days, though. Eh? Better, better than um, Mario Kart. Better, oh, well, yeah. I don't know. Mario Kart in the N64 is fucking pretty good. Well, the SNES one, I've put back to it recently and it leaves a lot to be desired, man. Micro SNES one is pretty fluid. Aye. Do you know Mike, what? Micro Machines I- is more fluid than it, actually. Better, better, more fun. And it feels it feels faster than a lot of things that came after it. Weirdly, aye, aye, like uh, the way the the way the wee cars move, man, is aye, very, very fluid. Um, Did you ever play this weird kind of? Um, so somebody mentioned Mario Kart. It, it, did you ever play a game called Street Racer? It was kind of like Mario Kart. I, I, can't I don't know, there's a lot of Mario Kart rip-offs This is one I'm, I'm going to use for the podcast then So to be continued, keep an eye out for Street Racer, everybody <laughs> Oh, I can't, can't wait <laughs> Is it as generic as the name sounds? No, Ask it fucking no, super, super Frog written all over it, man No, 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 this is, a, <laughs> this is an actual good release This has got Fitbit and all that in it, it's mental it's a racing game with Fitbit in it. What? Aye, there's a Fitbit mode in it where you're all in your cart, like a Mario Kart. Oh, cart. like that fucking hang uh, every cunt was playing on Steam. The car Fitbit Rocket game. League. Rocket League. Well, that's a Rocket League fucking like prehistoric Rocket League. Um, <laughs> no, McMenemy, I don't mean to date you here as well. But um, I mean, if folk are going to know based on your picks, spoiler alert: we have got a we've got a specy game here. We've got a ZX Spectrum. So you get memories of fucking playing one of them when you were a wee wee boy type thing. I mean, I've got memories of playing an Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Ah, right, okay. But to be fair, I don't remember what games I was playing. I just remember the control, the um, joystick 
it was my uncles that had one of them in the house. And then, I don't know what age I was, but I do remember getting a Commodore 64 for my birthday. Oh, was, nice. Nice. was the C64 basically? Because I've got a vague memory of playing one of them maybe when I was like fucking three or four. Was it like just a keyboard that plugged into a tele, uh, more or less? It was the Amiga before the Amiga. It was the Amiga's like, predecessor. It plugged into the telly, but it also had a tape deck that plugged into the keyboard, if I remember the setup right. And you need to load up the games through tapes. So you'd like, the screen would come up and you'd be like, load game. And I can't remember, you had to type in a couple of things, and then you'd need to press play on a tape. And what would happen is your screen would all go mad colours for between 5 and 50 minutes, depending on the game you were playing. (laughs) And then once it was loaded up, you you were good to go. Aye, my uncle Scott had like fucking uh, blue reed transformer on one side and break out on the other. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you got it, there was, there was these tapes that was like, um, oh, here's how to use your Commodore 64 and all that. It was like a walkthrough thing. But then it had, all, after that, it says, here's some tapes for you to like play about with. And one of the tapes taught you how to like make your own game, like how to program it in, how to code it. There was another one that yeah. um, taught you how to use your your Commodore 64 to make music and our one how to draw pictures or this sort of caper um, I was aware I didn't have any time for that I just wanted to you know jump up and down and shoot things and that but um, I think if, if, if I had a working Commodore 64 now I think I'd be surprised at the amount of crap I could get day on it we missed all this by a few years man but from what I've heard it was quite an interesting time because everybody was coding their own shit man like but ZX81 and all that it's called the golden age of British retro and all this, didn't it? When there was just loads of hobbyists making their own fucking mad wee games. Like Manic Miner and all that. It was just some wee guy in Southport, like, over a weekend. Then he you go. Even... <laughs> Even um, the the one that we've got on the day, um, Dizzy, which you've picked for Andy, I think that was basically like two blokes or something like that that fucking... that made at least the first one of that. Aye, I think so. I think... I think um, Fantasy Island, is it, wait, is it Fantasy Island I've picked, I think it was the second one. Oh no, Treasure, Treasure, I, the second one, I, Treasure Island. Uh, the first one was just like Dizzy's Marvelous Adventure or something like that, I never played that that I can remember, but I remember um, Treasure Island and Fantasy World Dizzy were the, uh, were the two that I really enjoyed. There was a game called Panic Dizzy, which is a bit like Dr. Mario, in that it's oh. shite. Um, <laughs> it is like a puzzle game that's got nothing to do with the other games, it's just... Mean Bean Machine. Aye, it's just useless. Um, yeah, there was a few good Commodore games that I enjoyed. Um, Boulder Dash was my favourite, probably. Don't know if he's played that. No, um, I've never even heard of it. I've totally missed out that era. We maybe should look back at that at some point. Boulder Dash was good. Aye. It was like, um, you know, screen, and there'd be like different rocks and amoebas and jellies and stuff. Um, and nothing could pass through dirt apart from you. So it was 2D, but if you ran underneath a rock and you took the dirt away, what would happen is the rock would fall down. So you sort of had to plan your route in advance. Sometimes you'd need certain rocks to fall. Sometimes you'd need to avoid that because it would block half your route. And because it was a Commodore, if you died, you were back at level one. So Class. that was my favourite game. Say, um, there's one on a Nintendo called Load Runner. I think it's load LODE, and that sounds kind of like that. You would have to make rocks fall, and you had to use certain ones as like fucking perches to get up to higher levels and all this type of shit. It sounds a bit like uh, Dig Dog. Yeah. I like ladders and all that. You could crush enemies with boulders in Dig Dog for extra points. Here, by the way, I actually want to put a weird wee aside here, um, mostly just for myself and the future, and that is to say that at this point, 
I've had my fucking first jag, and so has uh, McCormick and uh, Andy. Um, and Mick, Mick, I believe you're on two. Yeah. Oh, I sound fucking ancient uh, here. Oh, I remember the Atari. That's <laughs> me got my second dose. <laughs> I do this weird thing where I use this uh, I use this podcast to chart the pandemic so I can go back and listen to an episode and go, oh, mine, that was the first week. That was fucking mental. <laughs> um, so this is just just to put a marker down. Um, we and adapted I, as, quite well, didn't we, as a podcast? We've adapted quite well to modern times. That's it. I adapt or die. Um, and it's good that we can we can show our appreciation for the pensioners that have got their two jags as well. Okay, I'm on first. Um, You're one of the few podcasts that existed before the pandemic. <laughs> Where <Well, laughs> I? Do you know what it is? I think a retro games podcast is tailor made for staying in your house, man. I think that's how we've survived. Like, I suppose that like, the the garden show podcast isn't going to. Isn't it going to go on the Tina Park podcast? You no. know, it's... <laughs> the old investigative journalism was a wee bit hampered. Given that we were having a wee bit of chat about this, the the Commodore 64 and that anyway, um, I think I think maybe we'll, we will kick off with Dizzy. So, Mike, if you if you want to just talk about why you picked this in for Andy. Um, because it was, I know it wasn't like just a Commodore thing. I think you got Dizzy on the Spectrum and all that. But to me, when I think of the Commodore, I think of Dizzy the same way that you think of Mario when you think of Aye. Nintendo and the way you think of Sonic when you think of Sega and all that. And I just remember like enjoying it as a ween. Um, I went back myself a couple of years ago to play it and found it ridiculously difficult. And I was like, how did I enjoy this when I was a ween? Like, I remember completing it. <laughs> it's quite ween, it's like, and when I'm must have been like seven or something. If, like probably younger, I don't know. Um, obviously, Mongo and that was helping me out. But I just remember like enjoying wandering about, speaking to the other eggs, getting clues, picking <laughs> things up. <laughs> just loved it. Um, and I was like, I want to know if this stands up, if other folk, if it's just like, um, you know, a, a wee retro nostalgia and if it's actually still any good and when obviously all the attempts to play CDI games ended I thought fuck I'm going to go back to the Commodore so it was going to be this or it was going to be like Manic Miner or Spy vs Spy or one of the ones that I used to play when I was away and I thought nah Dizzy's the Dizzy's the OG I should point out that the original plan for this episode was that it was going to be a CDI special and we're all going to play CDI games, but after about three or four days of like trying to get emulators working, we all just collectively gave <laughs> yeah. up on that idea. We'll need to find an actual CDI. We need, we need to find four lottery winners that each have a CDI. <laughs> <laughs> they half their fortune on a CDI. <laughs> um... I does it, man. So when I started it up, uh, I kind of get uh, music. Kind of gave me a fright, man. At first, <laughs> it's, like, it's loud. Very loud. Aye, that's like what we were talking about. Like when you're introduced to another generation of games, it's like there's so much different from what you're used to. And the music was the first bit of jump to it. The melody's great, man. But the, the obviously the machine that's making the music was just so intense. That was the first thing I noticed. Commodore 64 is capable of some pretty good music. A lot of people still make music on that sound chip. There was actually a voice um, compression. There was actually a voice compression used. And it goes... Um, there's something that was meant to be Dizzy's Treasure Island, you know? But, um, <laughs> aye, it was... I get used to it. I quite like the wee melody, the wee tune. Uh, so when you start up, you're a... 
a mascot egg, as you were saying, Mick, um, in the vein of like, I mean, this is before the days of Sonic and Mario, but you're basically an egg um, that can jump and walk side to side on a platform. Um, and as soon as I seen this, I thought, right, this looks like they've tried to kind of make Dizzy a mascot. So I've done a bit of looking up on it. And I, it's like mascots before mascots became popular in the nineties. Apparently, they sold um, the first Dizzy and news agents for one ninety nine on like a tape. And uh, th- this was like one of the most successful ones that they sold. So the second game, which is this one I played, Treasure Island, um, was like the first game off the back of the first one's success. So Dizzy was quite a big deal when this came out. They ended up making hundreds of them. There's about 10 or so games in the kind of main series. I think they were quite just cheap to make, so they made up and cracked a whole lot of them out. Aye. Because I, I, I remember fucking... Because he he's a he's an iconic looking character. He looks quite fucking cool. But yeah. I remember I remember there was a fucking dizzy Mega Drive game. Mike, I think it was a fantasy one I you were talking I... about. Um, years later, ended up with a Mega Drive port on on the cover. It was dressed up like Indiana Jones. I remember seeing it yeah. in the forum a I couple of times and going, "I fucking want that." Aye. Well, see, when you talking about tapes for like one ninety nine, you used to go into the forum and. You'd look at the the only thing you'd really go for you know go by was the covers really, because um, there was I... thousands of games available and there was new ones all the time because you says MD could make them, but what would happen is when you picked one, the guy would take it out of the case and then he would put it in a tape deck and record it into another tape, like Aye. they had stacks of blank tapes and they'd record it, they'd copy it then and there for you, and then I don't know what the deal was they must have like set up you know. A commission back to the guys who originally made it, but it was it wasn't as though like the the proper tapes were sitting there in the forum in Greenock. It was all these blank tapes with handwritten labels now on them that you got when you bought new games for Commodore. See that killed the the market in America, killed it stone deed. But here we kind of embraced it, didn't we, man? Because we end up with like teams like Codemasters and like, the, I think I think with the two guys that made this game, they started Codemasters, weren't they? That's what I read anyway. I think I started with the Southern Brothers. Was it Codemasters that made micro machines as well? Yes. Yeah. I. Oh man. Uh, Oliver, I've got in my notes. I. Oliver twins. Uh, By the way, that's quite a. I'm going off the road already here. But that's quite a common theme. Uh, Championship manager was two brothers working in their rooms too. It's weird that, isn't it? How two brothers. Aye, anyways, that's running off. That's running off podcast. So, <laughs> Andy Max about to start going. Uh, aye, the the craze. Um, Ronnie and Reg, I believe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so does it? So you start off the wee platform, and at first I want to uh, when I play a platform game, I'm I'm a fucking obviously for the generation of Sonic One, Sonic Two. So I'm wanting to jump about and get a feel of the controls, you know me. So um, I want to take find out my bearings essentially, right? I can walk left, does it can walk left, I can walk right. There's a good wee bit of momentum on each one, um, it responds quite well. And then obviously the big deal when it comes to physics, the jump, I was pleasantly surprised because this jump isn't a, a kick in the arse away from Sonic, to be honest, because it takes into account the gravity and momentum in the jump, unlike... Um, Games that I won't mention, but <laughs> um, but uh, aye. So I've got that in my first screen, and I'm like, ah, right, okay, I'm so I'm set. I know how to control Dizzy. I'm quite enjoying it so far. So I move to the right of the screen. Um, obviously, there's no scrolling at this point. Uh, Spectrum couldn't handle scrolling, so it's sort of one screen each. So I got a second screen, and there's like a big pool of water, 
And I thought to myself, hmm, right, okay, so this isn't just a straight platform game. Because if I jump in the water, I'm going to fucking die. So i done it anyway just to test it. Jumped in the water, yep, died. So, <laughs> obviously I'm like, right, okay, so there's a second part of this game. It's not just a platform and I obviously need to equip shit. So, um, you're, you're so conditioned by Sonic and Mario that you didn't even think to go left instead of going right. Exactly, exactly. And this is, this is what I had today. I went left, um... You know I hate going left, but you know as as you just said, it's because of that. But I went left anyway, and I found it. It took some convincing to get me vote green. <laughs> <laughs> but then I knew I've noticed you could pick stuff up. Now that's a bit of a struggle because there's a button to pick up shit, um, and that kind of operates as a sort of pick up, um, give, and drop. But there's like a sequence like you need to press the button. Um, I think it's is it twice to pick up, three times to put down. There's just some sort of sequence anyway. I kind of thought you were like cycling through an inventory or something. I didn't really understand what I was doing when I was using that. Uh, there was uh, some sort of sequence anyway. There is there is a logic to it. I mean, it's, it takes a wee minute to figure out, but um, it, it works. It does work. So I you, you take off whatever it is, uh, some sort of platform to get up onto the next bit, and then you sort of begin to see a kind of platforming aspects and stuff but what I noticed about this game is there is um, key items and there is non-key items now when I played this game I thought right every one of these items is going to do something nah that's not the case (laughs) I think that kind of clicked when I picked up um, a magazine Um, and the magazine was uh, some sort of some sort of nod to something that was probably pop culture at the time or something it's like an issue of a magazine with his zap, um, was it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's what I noticed was like a fucking John Major fanzine story, or something. The story progresses with sort of scrolls, and there was something about a pirate. Uh, the pirates, something about a pirate. I don't know because I was trying to tune into a story, but by the second scroll, they kind of abandoned the pirate thing and just started taking the piss out of people that were stealing their ski ski sim code. Um, There's a lot of a lot of kind of inside jokes in that which are a bit kind of lost in me. There's you can you can read billboards and they kind of like a lot of them seem like reviews of games or, or fake reviews of games. I don't know. It's probably really funny back in the eighties, but I didn't really have the context for it. I found it quite funny. There was one that said uh, that there was one that, that said something about I we made the best BMX um, best BMX sim. It's just a pity that other publishers abuse the fucking code or something. <laughs> I'm playing dizzy I'm trying to get my head in it and the fucking uh, the, the bulbos that are meant to progress the story are like fucking shaming rogue developers and that <laughs> 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 so so anyways I, right, so I kind of fucked about with the first couple of screens see what each kind of item does and um, I was kind of still half confused man to be honest but then I realised that right okay some of the objects have, have, have been made You've got to kind of think, right? Okay, this object is important, like a sword or something like that. Or a, um, what was the other one? I've got it written down here. You pick up a toothpaste pretty early on. <laughs> Aye, I know. I, and I, I, I discounted that quite early on, but I found a snorkel, and I said, right, okay, here we go, right? Snorkel. I found a snorkel, and I thought, right, snorkel water. Here we go. So obviously, I went over to right, and there's the. By the way, before I went there, I was platforming for ages on these kind of. Uh, Boardwalks. Uh, the, the kind of trees. Aye, and I thought I'm missing something here, I'm missing something here. But 
but I wasn't. I just had to get a snorkel. So I went over, and there's an underwater section. Um, kind of reminded me of Alex Kidd a wee bit for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it was water. But um, I think what it was was the, the. This is when you first get an enemy, and I think it was. What? A, Sorry. Do you, and then you first get an enemy here. I'm like sorry, I thought you said my surname for a second. <laughs> 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 you first get an enemy in the water. <laughs> and uh, the Jeff, this is probably why it reminds me of Alex Kidd. They kinda, they've got a movement up and down and stuff, and you need to evade them. You can't attack them at that. You just need to evade them. And you get a jellyfish, a crab, and a fish. Are you um, sure it's a jellyfish and not an anemone? It could be a, a Portuguese <laughs> man of war throw, I know. <laughs> uh, so, you go over, and you, again, you, right, okay, I'll cut a, a bit out. Right, so you get over to the end of the water section and there's a bubble. Um, the bubble takes you up back onto dry land again. So again, there's mere platform in here. Um, and this is when you meet, I call him the barman, but he's not, it's a store, I'm pretty sure. Uh, there's a barman in this. Well, he looks like a barman. He's got a wee tash and that. Um, <laughs> he looks like a saloon. He's standing in the front there. But, uh, <laughs> but basically, you, you say to him, I need a boat to get off this island or something. And he says, I'll give you a boat, but I need you to get me something. I need you to get me something rare. Um, at this point, I thought, right, I'll just mind the door a wee bit. I seen a, a bucket above his head. And I thought to myself, right, a bucket, that's what he's needing. This guy needs a bucket to clean his pub. Got a bucket. I dropped it in front of him. Uh, he actually says, thank you for the bucket. I was looking for this everywhere. So I was thinking to myself, right, cool. He's gave me the boat. Um, so I'm looking about for the boat. If you go over one screen, there's like two or three screens. There's like a bit where the boat should be, like a dock. No boat. So I'm like, ah, funny and about. Oh, how the fuck, man? Where is this boat? It turns out I had to hit an FAQ at this point because I didn't know where the fuck I was going. Um, You've got to... Right, this is pretty brain frying. You've got to get the axe, which I was looking at. I was going back and forth and I kept noticing there was an axe. And you've got to use the axe to cut through a bridge, randomly, <laughs> which takes you into a bandit's cave where there is a um, cursed treasure. So you've got to collect the cursed treasure and cut a long story short, you've got to get the cursed treasure to the barman or the store manager, whoever it is. And he gives you a series of items which you've then got to work out. Fucking, I think it's a, what is it? It's a dehydrated boat, an outboard, like, yeah, what I'm seeing here, there's all sorts of fucking bits and pieces <laughs> and you've got to try and figure them all out. Uh, bit by bit, to eventually get the boat to leave the island, which is your aim at the beginning. I'm getting the impression that this game, it isn't it hard, right? It was just obscure. Like, people couldn't complete it because it was, you know, quite... Opaque and it kind of relied on people just in the playgrounds, maybe saying, How the fuck did you get past the I found it to be very linear in that there was a sequence to do things, a very linear sequence, but you could go off the map dead easy. Kind of like an adventure game where you could be running between the same two rooms, and unless you know what you've got to do, man, you could end up making a a game for yourself in your own heat. That's what I found. Quite, Quite interesting. Confusing um, 
Aye. The thing I read, because I, I did a, a minor bit, of, I, I played this for a wee bit, I didn't get to, to the boat or anything like that, but I heard that, um, that they, the way that they increased the length of this one a wee bit, so that it wasn't just a matter of figuring out, you know, the sequence the day hangs in, was that you also have to get all 30 coins, partly if you try to get away from the island on the boat Aye. without getting all the coins, the game says, no, fucking go back and get them. I think there's 30 coins you can get in this, isn't there? 30 is 30. Aye, uh, and you're right. Aye, if you don't get enough coins, they can send you back. But um, man, some I, I like the way I like the idea. Like they've got, they've definitely got. Like, this is very a very early game in terms of platforming and stuff. They've got decent platforming sections. Like even when you get a boat, the boat moves back and forth, and you've got to like negotiate your way over to the other side and stuff like that. So it's it kind of fusion between. I don't want to say it's collective on at this point. Uh, uh I mean, collective ones kind of when you think that you think of something else. But what would this game be like? A like an adventure platformer collective one. It was be- kind of before all these types of genres of games were well defined. So it was a a wee bit of everything, and you imagine it was probably quite influential on platformers Aye. and also adventure games Aye. and also the kind of puzzle games and that as well. Aye, and I was trying to keep up mindset the whole time. When I was playing it, um, I was trying to keep, like, remember this was before we have even picked a game up. This, this game was doing it, and um, man, tell you what, the way Dizzy moves, you know, we always talk about physics and stuff in this game. I mean, they had the they had the bones here of creating like a decent platforming game. Um, the adventure side, maybe I don't know. It's not kind of it's not my genre to be honest. I get confused dead easy. But then from a platforming point of view, I I quite enjoyed moving them about and quite enjoyed like try to work things out to a certain extent I did get confused a lot but I, I enjoyed it for what it was man definitely wrong praise said it's a good platform and coming from Andy the the jump is the jump is pretty fucking good. Um, when I was playing it, um, after I had a wee couple of shots at jumping about, um, I was guessing that that's where he gets his name for because he sort of that's does that I somersault thought. like jump in the yeah, air thing, and it, thing, it makes eh? him dizzy maybe. Aye, that's what I thought. I can't remember if it was this one or the later one where it sort of rolls if you jump ah. and you land on a, on a like a, an angle. It can roll down a bit before he stops. Did that uh, aye, he does that. He does that in this one. Aye. That's momentum. That's momentum. They took into account the fact that you don't just go into a static position after jumping, which is good physics, man, for a platforming game. Man, I'd quite like to play that Mega Drive version because I'm guessing they took it to the next level and made it an like a platforming game. I'd imagine. I played a few different versions just of the of this game on different consoles. I originally thought it was the Spectrum we were um, we were meant to be playing, but I think that I think it turns out it's maybe the, the Commodore one. Um, but yeah, controls, mostly the differences were really just in the graphics. In the, in the ZX Spectrum, you've got that lovely thing where um, all the colours kind of bleed together. Um, yeah, because like the, on the Spectrum, you couldn't, couldn't control the colour of each individual pixel. You could only set colours on like chunks of the screen. So like when, when Dizzy crosses between one of those thresholds, he kind of just um, he kind of melts into the background until the like chameleon like turns into the same colour as the background. One thing I will say that was one thing like no matter what it was, you had to change colour to that section of the screen. But I'll tell you what, some of the some of these games, like older games, um, when you pick something up, it doesn't actually it's not a good representation of what it's meant to be. And this game, like if you pick up a spade, it looks like a spade. If you pick up treasure, aye. it looks like treasure. Was it the spectrum one you were playing? Aye. Aye. Then, 
Because I thought, like, the, the actual art style of the spectators, even though they've got, like, fuck all colours and that, the art I thought was quite good. Like, it, it was quite characterful. Like, you had those trees, it kind of, like, wee spooky faces in them, and you had, like, kind of wee, like, kind of grotesque and funny-looking characters. And, like, the you could play the Amiga one, and it was a lot sharper and more colourful and more pixels, but it didn't really have the, the same kind of charm to it. Yeah. I think, uh, in this, I, I, I got that fate as well. I got, like... The sword, like things like the sword and all that. Like if you were playing a game for the same era, maybe the designer would say, right, okay, I'll just put this down as a square or something like that, and it will say in the inventory it's a sword when it's not really. It may just be a different colour, a square or something. But they made the effort to actually create a wee kind of, um, a wee kind of sprite. What it looks like, what it's meant to be, which is no mean feat, man. When you've got hardly anything to work with, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a challenge. That few pixels and that few colours, eight, eight colours or sixteen colours, I think. Aye. But aye, man, I, I didn't, I, I've, there's been a lot of games I've played on Nedes, like uh, Batman, the fucking one jumps from my head, Batman Forever, and uh, this, this, I quite enjoyed this one. This is, this is pretty good, man. And uh, I mean that objectively, I don't mean that like, looking back, uh, using my head as in a, a mini 80s, but objectively it's a decent wee game, man, it's it's cool. So it would be a recommendation for yourself then? If you want to go and, and view what it was like... In the area, in the area of like spectrums and Commodore sixty fours, if you want to go and experience what it was like, you could. I'd, I'd imagine you could do worse, man. This game is pretty decent, and, and um, it's got the basis of a very decent platforming as well, uh, mechanic wise. I, I, I think. Mick, anything you wanted to add about Dizzy yourself before we move on to another section here? I just I remember it being funny. Was my main thing <laughs> like? No, I mean, I was a Wayne at that point, but it wasn't like, you know, um, a comedy game, but there was wee bits in it that, like, gave me a chuckle. It was no, it's sort of it's... that, like, 80s geek thing, you know, like, um, these guys were probably making this at the same time they were watching The Young Ones, or, like, listening to this. Aye. And it's really got that feel <laughs> to it. It's like that sort of post-punk, just, you know, DIY. I get you, I get you. St- stuck in a bed sit somewhere near, I don't know, Droitwich. <laughs> just like, day night. Uh, my, gy- my gyros no came through let's make a game let's make a game right? no I, I get yeah, the, the there's a fucking quirky sense of humour is one of your fucking inventory objects not like a fucking broken washing machine or something like that but uh, it's, it's, it's it's surreal I can read you the, um, the kind of back of the tape manual here it's pretty short Dizzy was looking forward to the Around the World cruise. When he told the other yoke folk about the good deal we found, they wondered what just lay what ahead of him. Dizzy enjoyed his cruise at first. The captain, Long John Silver, was a lovely old bloke with a kindly manner, good at insulting and degrading the fair-paying punters. He was well-balanced, with a parrot on one shoulder and a chip on the other. Dizzy <laughs> <laughs> thought he would organise a game of cricket on the aft deck. In a fit of blind stupidity, he used LG's spell leg clutch and his makeshift stumps. And when they were lost overboard, they would make to walk the plank. That's how he came to find himself gently poaching on the silent sun-kissed beach of a seemingly deserted island. He had to somehow find a way back to the yoke folk and lodge his compensation claim with a travel agent. <laughs> well, <you> go, <laughs> I don't know if she's a fair either, but there was a a, a small kind of unknown uh, group of developers called Lucas Arts that used to do these funny jokes. In their games. <laughs> oh, I've heard about them. By <laughs> British, aren't they? I'm from Britain. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope fucking I hope we does get his compo. <laughs> <laughs> and they end yeah. up too fried. 
Uh, I did like the barman. I did like the barman. I did like the barman. I liked to. Uh, I found a bit funny where he's asking for like, something funny, and it, he's asking for something um, valuable. So he gives you a boat, and I gave him a bucket, and he was overjoyed with a bucket. I did have a wee chuckle at that. I'm not going to lie. See, I've I've heard you say that you thought somebody could have used a bucket before, but I think you meant something pretty different. <laughs> We're not getting any buckets <laughs> in Greenock this fucking weather anyway. <laughs> That's another story. Do you know there was a, a Dizzy game came out last year? What? Oh, was this a Kickstarter effort? I don't know. I just, um, when you were talking about like um, reading the back of the thing, um, I remember I was like reading that earlier. I just on the page, there's titles in the Dizzy series Wonderful Dizzy by the Oliver Twins came out in 2020. Oh, nice. <laughs> wow. The Oliver Twins must be a fair age, man. But it came out for the Spectrum. Oh, right, aye, aye. Still for Megan Spectrum games? Yeah. Oh, fair well, here, it was, a, it was a fucking long lockdown, boys. I'm, I'm glad the Oliver Twins fucking spent their time wisely. That's the worst thing <laughs> I've upgraded. I bet they've upgraded that uh, bed set into a, a bigger bed set. <laughs> still, still two What's brothers it? living together, though, the weirdos. Oh, well, I was about to say, they've probably never had a bird there, but it sounded mainly homophobic. Um... Wait, you try to tell me, me fucking Dizzy's not a fanny magnet. I know, you're going to be deep in clunch, mate. <laughs> Wait, I, Dizzy would be, it doesn't mean he's creators, wouldn't he? Anyway. Ah, <laughs> Well, aye, I guess we'll move on to our next game. I think we're going to pivot to um, just bog standard Neddy Fair. It's a role-playing game for the Super Nintendo. Um, McCormick, why did you... <laughs> it is. Um, we do a lot of role-playing games. Um, particularly, man, there's one on the next episode as well. I can't help it, they're really fucking good. Um, McCormick, why have you picked uh, Soul Blazer for myself? Aye, so these games kind of... There's a, there's a series of these games which doesn't really have an official name. Um, like Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Illusion of Time and Terra Enigma, um, all on the, the SNES. And I remember kind of playing a few of them on emulators, finding them really good, but they don't seem to get talked about very often. Um, they've kind of blown under the radar a wee bit. Um, this was probably not the one that I spent the most time playing with back in the day, but I figured the first one of the series is as good a place to start as any. And yeah, I thought it'd be a good one to revisit, and um, I did revisit myself and really end up enjoying it, so hopefully you did deserve. The games you're talking about, unofficially, it was known as a Quintet Trilogy. Quintet was a developer that made a lot of games for Enix or Enix. Right. I don't know how folk fucking prefer pronouncing that. Um, but I had actually played the fucking second one, uh, Illusion of Gaia, or in Europe it was called Illusion of Time. Um, I fucking... Uh, I, 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 beat, was, I was uh, getting I, thinking they were two different games. Yeah. Um, I, I played that through to the end, and when I... During fucking... It's another one of these ones where it was after I had a PlayStation and all that, but also a wee bit later on when we had a computer with the internet and you, you talk about a kind of emulation scene, I went back and played a lot of fucking role-playing games and no just like fucking Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy and all the biggins, but fucking stuff like this as well. And I remember fucking swerving this back in the day because the graphics are a wee bit fucking simple. Um, yeah. it, it looks very fucking early snes do you know what I mean? I, w- I wouldn't say it looks fucking primitive. You can tell it's a Super Nintendo game, but it's got a fucking touch of the old school about it. Uh, it's using the old template. They'll they'll pack a kind of 
design specifications. Like the, you can tell like the, the terrain and all that is kind of right out of neat, but sprite pack. Ah, almost. Aye, I mean it, it seems as if they, aye, do you know? It, it seems as if when they were making this, they still had the same kind of ideas about what graphics should be for earlier games. I wouldn't say that a great deal went into making it look overly fucking. Uh, amazing looking some of the bosses in that look quite cool mind you but uh, the graphics is maybe graph if, if you were to switch this on and go in blind the graphics might be the one thing that make you turn away at first just another wee hang on the fucking presentation of it is mccormick you're you're kind of music guy um did you know how the tunes in this had a wee touch of the Mega Drive about them? It's a lot of that kind of weird slap bass, kind of Sega-ish music. Yeah, all of the tunes, especially the dungeon ones, are quite kind of funky. You've got, like, the first dungeon's got a pure cracking bass line. <laughs> kind of gets you kind of pumped up. I yeah, definitely enjoyed the tunes. I was looking up to see if it was, like, a composer that I knew from, from other games, but it wasn't the MD I'd recognised. So- um, but I, I thought that, yeah, just... I guess I thought it was slightly about graphics. The one thing that slightly put me off um, of playing it and I, I thought made it look pretty rubbish was that I thought the main character was really pale looking in comparison to some other games on the SNES. Usually folks get quite kind of rosy cheeks um, when you make a wee sprite of a kind of adorable little character, but this guy looks a bit like a vampire. Um, I freaked me out a wee bit, but overall the graphics were like, um, I thought they were fine to be honest like you know they, were, they showed their age but it, it worked for what the game was about all about so there's a weird thing with this where this along with a fucking previous game that Quintet made called Actraiser which I don't know if this was one that we had in a forgotten episode because I, I was always meaning to get Andy to play it or I don't know if it was one I just recommended to him or something. The plot goes into this weird kind of pseudo-Judeo-Christian creation myth shit where the game starts <laughs> off with God telling you that you're his fucking... you're his emissary on Earth and you need to go and do this thing. Actraiser's the exact same way. The plot of this game is that fucking a king sold everybody's fucking souls to hell for money and God sends you down and you need to fucking go and get every cunt's soul back by doing wee bits of dungeons. Very strange. The baddie in the game has a really good um, 90s RPG villain name. He's called Death Toll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wonder if that's that, that was his given name or if he maybe... He chose I, it himself. I can picture Death Toll in my head already. I've not even seen him yet. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that's the kind of main, the, the main kind of gimmick of, of this game is what Mike was saying that rather than, you know, a normal RPG format, you go to a wee tune, given a quest, you stock up on items, and then you go to a dungeon, beat the boss. In this one, as you're going through the dungeon, you are um, you're kind of killing enemies that come to a wee spawn point, and then once you kill enough enemies, you go and destroy the, the spawn point and that un- releases the soul of some some person or a creature living in the town. Um maybe a wee animal or maybe a um, a townsperson and their whole kinda their whole house sort of gets gets built up alongside them. So as you're progressing through you're kinda building this tune almost and then you can come back to it and people will, will talk to you and kinda give you give you things and that. This is what for me makes it feel a wee bit fucking ahead of its time because I don't know, do these do do play a lot of fucking mobile games at all? Yeah, I kind of go over the controls, but I like your sentiment. Mick, yourself? 
Oh, I think he's oh, yeah. checked out. I was eating a cheese cracker. You know, we need to chew it for like 20 minutes before you can actually swallow them. Yeah. It's a flattery of day, mate. I'll be fine, thank you. Um, nah, I don't, I, I, I don't do much of the mobile gaming. Um, there's a See, mad football chairman game I play. That's about it. Just for sitting like doing a shite. So you you play you play that much football manager that you need a micro version of football manager for jobbies as well. Aye. Yeah, pretty much. Aye. Aye. So about convenience in twenty twenty one. Jobbies well, not the train. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes so, jobbies Matt... on the train. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's always a bad ticket, isn't it, man? You've got a ticket right next to the the toilet, and fucking somebody goes in. Aye, anyways, right. I am that person that goes in. <laughs> oh, just never fuck. Andy, do you know you don't have set seats in a train? Like, you can sit wherever you like. You don't have to sit next to the bugs. <laughs> Talking about when you're travelling with Virgin. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. right. But anyway, my point was, um, kind of modern gaming, mobile gaming, you're constantly unlocking wee hangs, constantly getting that wee hit, hit of dopamine, whether it's short levels or, you know, kill five, en- kill five McMenemies and get a crate type of thing. So this in that sense, makes me feel like that because there are constant wee rewards all the time as you're playing. They And the other side of that is, see, for a game of the era, there is nothing that I can compare this to that's got so much respect for the player's time. Like, anything else I can think of, particularly fucking role-playing games of that era, they're good, but they don't fucking respect your time. Like, they don't... They don't care if you need to fucking spend two hours doing this thing and they don't let you fucking save in between and all of that. They don't, they don't care about just you know, kicking you back. If you die in a, a fight, just kicking you back to the start of the dungeon with none of this shit that you had when you get in. It's like, well, that's a, an hour of my life. Yeah. I'm not going to get back. Um, like this one, this one when you, um, as soon as you destroy one of those wee kind of spawn points and you go back in the dungeon, it's still gone. So like, those baddies aren't going to bother you for the rest of the game. Yeah, backtracking's a right piece of piss. If you want to switch this on, play for fucking 10 minutes, unlock a couple of towns, people, backtrack, save it. It's a fucking piece of piss. Like, it's really fucking easy to do that. And also, it means that you don't need to fucking spend much time grinding because the game has been designed in that there's a finite amount of enemies. So you're basically always the fucking right level that you need to be to beat the fucking next thing. Uh, oh, should point out as well, this is one of your, your kind of top-down adventure-style games where you run about hacking and slashing with a sword that's no, um, as Andy Mack would call, teletext simulator. You've not got your <laughs> your uh, tur- turn-based battles. You're a, a wee fella Action running about. Action RPG. Action RPG, exactly. Slashing things with a sword. you got a couple of spells in that as well, but it's it's very simple. Uh, yeah, I think to the past, you could compare it to... A secret um, man or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, even probably more more accessible than Secret of Mana, I would say. It's quite, it's quite simple. It's one of the Mega Drive Beyond Oasis, sort of like that. That kind of puts beat-em-up in it, but, but I know the genre you're talking about. Aye. So, I mean, it's basically just kind of standard fare for one of these things, except the, the wee bit of ingenuity in it is that you are rebuilding society by clearing out these wee dungeons. So... You can go fucking clear out a couple of monster layers, explore a dungeon for a wee bit, and then go, oh, I unlocked another couple of buildings in a tune. I'll go back and fucking see what the crack is, go and talk to the barman or fucking aye. And and also there are pu- the game is designed 
to to be conducive to this kind of going back and forth because the dungeons have got puzzles in them that you'll need to go back to the tune and fucking come back and I don't know like pick up a certain type of key or something for instance again backtracking is painless and there are a lot of wee points where you can just warp back to the tune uh, you don't always have to walk back through the entire dungeon there's a situation where like in the first dungeon come across a lift that isn't working then when you've unlocked the um, the kind of guy with the pulley in the back of the tune, you go back and speak to him and he's able to get the lift going and then you go back down to the dungeon that kind of thing, but some of the, some of the stuff you unlock isn't even like, necessary it's just a wee, a wee extra character to talk to and a wee bit of, kind of, a wee bit of fluff like, it's a bit, it's bit quite, of flavour yeah, it's quite charming as well Like sometimes it's quite funny but, um, the, one of the first people you unlock is a wee kind of farmer in his house um, and he, he's sitting saying Oh, my, my wife died. Um, shortly after my wife died, he, th- this goat showed up, and I've, I've kind of bonded with this goat. And then you, you kind of meet the goat later in the game, and you speak to him, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm actually the reincarnation of his wife. <laughs> I just, I just like, I just like hanging about here. I don't know where else to go. Swerveball. I, it will. It's got that fucking soleil thing where. Um, you can talk to animals and plants. God, God just tells you that you've got a power to do that at the start of the game. That's God for you. A Zelda, but is that like not <laughs> copy and pasted for Link to Past? I think there's a bit in that, isn't there? Well, and also this was this was the this didn't come out fucking four years after I linked to the past. They were in fuck. This came out two months after, so they were fucking developed. They were developed concurrently, man. I don't think you can accuse it of stealing. Oh, fair play, man. Fair play. Uh, it's always, sometimes I'm always too quick to say, ah, oh, fucking action RPG, Zelda clone. But it's not always the case. No, I, I, I wouldn't say so at all with, with this. And, well, I mean, obviously it, it probably had um, influence for the 8-bit Zelda. But, I mean, even that wasn't the first day it's kind. I another thing about this is, I don't know if this, if this points to it being a wee bit of a budget game alongside the graphics. If you've played a lot of Actraiser, which I think came out before this, they share uh, sound effects. The main character makes the same noise when they get hit. Have you ever recognised that for somewhere? Um, <laughs> it's like, that's a really familiar noise. And the tech, <laughs> the wee kind of bleeps and bloops when the, the words appear for text um, is the same noise as Actraiser as well. Yeah, I mean, just... In a good practice to be quite efficient when you're doing things like this. I mean, they managed to crank out like three of these games within the, the space of it three years, so they must have been doing something right. Well, see, interestingly, um, the second one in the series, as I say, it's the one I'm most familiar with, um, Illusion of Time, is the most, probably the most traditional in that you go about from town to town and the dungeons are just something you do in between fucking exploring the world map and stuff like that. There's a lot more kind of story. There's like, it's got its own kind of characters and stuff that are a big part of it. But for the third game in the series, Terra Enigma, they kept that, but they kind of went back to Soul Blazer and that the crux of that is unlocking parts of the tune by day in the dungeons. Yeah. Uh, that one's quite well regarded, um, I think, and it's got a bit of a mystique because it never came out in America. Aye, Europe and Japan only. I started playing the second one. It's not really got that, that modern feel of the first one because in the first one you're in a dungeon and swinging a sword within the first two minutes of the game whereas in this one you've got a whole long-winded story about a, a princess and that like, I started playing it on a card journey and by the end of the card journey I didn't even have a, a sword that I had gotten into a fight yet Aye You've got to fucking 
run about a town and talk to fucking six different characters before you even get going. This has got that thing a bit like the first Zelda, Andy, where you get on your sword and off you go, son. There you go. Game starts. Sometimes that's what you want. So, Blazer, is that like, is this like the first? Well, I think you mentioned it's like you get Illusion of Gaia and all that. Is this the same series? Is it like same sort of idea? They're not a series, it's like spiritual successor, really, you would call it. Um, it's the same developer. Aye, they, them, but they've not got related stories of that, but they play quite similarly. Aye, because I know Square Enix went fucking mental with their franchises in the nineties, didn't they? And they were trying to, like, I don't know if they were trying to like make a new Final Fantasy that was the same successor. But... This is when they were separate companies, but Square Enix. Ah, right enough. Was this an, an Enix game then? Aye. Enix has got Dragon Quest, right? That's the big fucking one that all aye, Japanese yeah. love, and then just a lot of kind of weird. Awkward cousin role playing games on the Super Nintendo. Some of them are quite good and some of them are quite shite, but they're usually always worth a look at least. Basically, if you like the wee fucking action adventure sort of games, he- right, here's my here's my recommendation, right? If you are a, a Zelda heed and you're particularly into fucking a link to the past and what was the, the 3DS sequel they made, McCormick's A Link Between Worlds a link or something? Between worlds. Yeah. Aye. Um, if you like stuff like that and you want to play something similar but a wee bit different, I would recommend fucking gain Soul Blazer a look purely for a fucking modern standpoint. Like, if you've got a good fucking emulator on your phone or something, purely because it's very fucking easy to dip in and out of. As I say, it's, it's a game with fucking a lot of respect for your time. Don't expect to fucking have to sit down with this thing for hours at a time. You can dip in and out quite easily. Um, and it's... Aye, it's as... A good Zelda mobile game. Aye, and the thing is, it came for the, the golden era of um, sort of Japanese RPGs as well. If you look at the ones made in the 90s, they're a lot better than the ones made nowadays, aren't they? Mm. I, don't know. So, I think I would say so, aye. aye. But that's my, that's my piece on Soul Blazer. I didn't finish the game. Um, I got to about the third the third dungeon um the first first level is a kind of generic tune that you're unlocking second level is this second level is the best one it's like a, a woodland area and it's all like squirrels and rabbits and things like that that you're freeing um, and kicking about and talking to them and then the third level was a a water level so no surprises that i chucked it there but um <laughs> it's all like all fucking mermaids and things like that that you're rescuing but it was still pretty decent i'll probably go back and play marriott yeah class man i that's another thing I wanted to say to you, Mick, and this might be not podcast chat, um, but I'll be there anyway. Uh, it's today with Earthbound, but um, I, I watched the AVGN Earthbound episode recently, and uh, it reminded me, I've still got a save state from the deep, dirt, the dark depths, or whatever it is. Um, the oh. deep, deep, dark, deep, deep, dark depths, and I, I want to fucking finish it, man. Oh, I'll, I'll come down. I'll come down with a fucking a bag of cans, and we'll, we'll fucking we'll take out a deep, a deep, deep darkness or whatever. Yep, um, my my most recent save state is actually in the belly of the fucking the big dungeon guy, dungeon man. Ah, classic. Um, but we'll 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 move on anyway. Um, to I don't know, Andy, Andy, do you want to do you want to set the scene and talk about the the waterfront and the the arcade machine that we all coveted so much and why why you picked it for McCormick? This is one of our more obscure inside jokes that we've got um, about virtual on becoming this kind of um, symbol of the, the decadence of the, the Tony Blair years, <laughs> purely because that we had this game in our, our very own waterfront 
pleasure centre. That's, I guess, half the story. But um, yeah, why in particular did you decide to, to bestow this game upon me this time? Well, whilst liberal democracy does create large sections of inequality in society, it also opens the door to create uh, placing random great arcade machines and <laughs> freshly built um, leisure centres. Pros and cons. Fuck's sake. But um, there's a kind of story behind this day, like. I'm a big Sega Saturn head man. I love it. I, lo- I love how like the first Mega Drive was made based on like the the old arcade before Model One, um, and then obviously Sega Saturn was kind of based on the Model One and the Model Two arcade boards and all that. So all the games I love are based on like the bare bones of these arcade machines. Whenever I seen a Sega arcade machine, I fucking mellish went half my nut. So when I think I saw Sega AM Two who are the guys behind um, this game in particular, Virtual One. Um, I think of games like Virtua Fighter, uh, Daytona USA, Virtua Strike Yard and all that. And this was one, Virtual One was like one that was very that was very accessible to us. The rest of them you had to maybe go to Largs to play. Um, but this one was quite accessible because it was in our swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. Um, just by the way, <laughs> on the wet... <laughs> <laughs> McMenemy, do, do you do you remember Virtual On um, in, in the waterfront? This big daft, daft robot arcade game with fucking two controller stick things. Can you remember seeing that at the waterfront leisure centre? Nah, my only went there to swim. <laughs> it was it, it was where a McDonald's kiosk and that was. Aye, aye, it was a lot There's better. a McDonald's in the waterfront. Well, there was, there was actually two. You could actually eat your McDonald's on the other side, then, when you were expecting <laughs> Just take your fucking... It was a great time, <laughs> Mac. Didn't you flim with you? You could. Mate, it was class. <laughs> no, I, 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 I was <laughs> fucking days, man. There was tables and chairs by the pools. Um, see the, the tyre flume? There was bits of that that had, that, that had a dry bit next to it where people would be <laughs> sitting <laughs> eating fucking... Big <laughs> 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 I remember, like, everybody used to eat um, Sundays, the hot fudge Sundays at a time are fucking and magic, and like, you, you could actually stand on like a second tire, uh, the tire, the second big wheel of tire flume, and get somebody to pass you a burger for going down the rest of the <laughs> Did you ever do that? Now that, along with Virtual On, would be the would be the ultimate sign of fucking nineties decadence. Yeah, nowadays they only build like just this from boring things like exercise. I mean, easy the days before, easy the days after, when we were liberated for the band system, remember? Like, when you had a band on, you had to leave after an hour. Well, the Liberal Democrats came in and changed all that, man. If you had made enough money, you were swimming until you decided to stop. <laughs> sorry, sorry. How are the Liberal Democrats coming in here now? <laughs> that was part of Nick Clegg's manifesto, was it not? Like, he's swimming for all. Unlimited, unlimited swimming. How long are you swimming for? I can't wait till fucking Andy Max, an old guy at a pub with a fucking bonnet on, going, Well, son, I mean, when the Liberal Council came in, they did a lot of good. Like, they, they got rid of the band system at the swimming, so they did, but pretty shot of calf. Try to shut a Catholic schools and all, so they did, so it was bad as well. It was, uh, it was good, uh, it was bad. Oh, I thought it was anyway, after a while, didn't it? I mean, as, as soon as fucking, yeah, listen, as soon as the bill came in, how much it was actually costing, Virtual One, get took away, didn't it? 
That was the first thing to go. Aye, that, right. that first, that first in the, the McDonald's second. I, I might have missed a bit. Have we still got Catholic schools in Inverclyde because this game cost too much at the waterfront? <laughs> 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 those lines. There's a, a, a kind of there's a microscopic correlation in there somewhere. They had to choose basically: are they going to close St Patrick's or are they going to turn off the virtual war machine? <laughs> a butterfly flaps its wings in China and then the Catholic queens get to sing their hymns instead of saying them out You can measure how liberal your tomb is by the number of McDonald's, the number of arcade machines in your leisure complex. Well, this is how I knew Virtual On was going to be a, a special a special choice because it was just going to lead to Hunter's a nonsense chat about how the waterfront had a Virtual On machine and then... Aye. Oh, I quick side note, it was uh, programmed by Yu Suzuki, right on you go. <laughs> <laughs> right Okay so I'm not sure How much of the Previous chat We just cut there But um Virtual oh, no. Is a game At, at, at all stays <laughs> We need We need liberal, We need liberal Democrats Keeping Catholic schools And virtual on Or whatever the fuck Just happened At uh, uh, all has I know, to stay I, I, know right? how, I know how much Is staying <laughs> any, any thoughts On virtual on <laughs> Yeah plenty Hey, right, let's go Watch your own. Uh, yes, let's go. Right, let's fucking, right, I'll try and fucking segue this back. <laughs> um, I suppose, <laughs> so for those halcyon days at the waterfront, as much as we, we we enjoyed talking about this arcade machine, I'm not sure how much any of us played it. I think it was quite expensive. It was maybe a pound a goal, which meant it was kind of out with our reach. <laughs> Andy was saying you'd have to choose between a fucking chicken nugget meal or a go on uh, virtual on. Uh, it made um, you want to get an A in your hires. Yeah, I I remember it being prohibitively expensive as well. I think it was like well more expensive. Well, I think I, I think a top tier arcade machine would have maybe been fifty p at that time, but this was I a fucking that. quid. Aye, as a result, I've got a lot of fun memories, but mostly just like looking at it and looking at the kind of a track screen where it was going. So it was good to kind of actually go back and play it. Um, I didn't play the arcade version. I played the Sega Saturn version, which is um, apparently quite similar, but the the graphics were dialed back slightly because the Saturn wasn't quite as as powerful as the, as the Sega Mod 2 arcade game. What it basically is, is like a, a kind of mech fighting game. So like a 3D kind of arena fighting game. You would choose between these eight, eight different mechs with different capabilities. And, and you get plunked into a, um, a kind of square arena with like different, um, different kind of layouts and uh, obstacles you cover in that. Um, and just kind of normal fighting game rules. You play until the, the timer goes down. Um, and try and kick seven shades of shit out of the other robot and first one lose all the health dies. The way you controlled it in the arcade machine was quite unusual. Like for some reason it had, Aye. It had two joysticks. Yeah. Um and it was meant to be as if you were a pilot one of these giant robots, I guess. So kind of unlike how you'd control a game new with like a, a controller with like one joystick and a couple of buttons, you would have two of these. And different things would happen if you moved them like together, like left and right, or if you moved them separately. So, like, if you moved one up and one down, your guy would rotate, um, either left or right. And then if you moved them kind of in together, your mech kind would jump up in the air and walk, walk on to the other one. So, I, I kind of tried to set up the controls. Um, there's a kind of guide on how to set up the, like, Xbox controller to play Saturn games. Um, as if I had one of these, these dual stick setups, because you could get it as, like, a kind of peripheral to plug into a Saturn, but I, yeah. I doubt anyone, yeah, I wasn't going to shell it. <laughs> I wasn't going to try and shell out for one of them. So I was trying to play it like that. And it's a pretty just fucking 
frantic game. It's just really logging on <laughs> when you're playing it. You're kind of um, trying to get a grip on these controls and kind of like dash about the arena. There's bullets flying everywhere. You've got like three different weapons um, that you're using to kind of um, to attack the enemy robots. So you've got like a usually it's like a short, a medium, and a long range kind of weapon based on if you fire. Use one of the, the triggers uh, or two at the same time. So it's all about just really knowing when you use your dash to get away from enemy um, enemy fire, how to position yourself, and, and when to use the right kind of weapons to attack them uh, and not get hit while you're doing it. But it's good just kind of add frantic arcade fun. Um, the side effect of, unfortunately, of like playing it with the control scheme I had was that I couldn't play it for much more than like 15 minutes at a time because my fingers kind of started seizing up, like, like cramping, in, <laughs> cramping it in position just because of this weird, like, having your, your fingers hovering over the, the shoulder buttons and the sticks uh, rather than the face buttons. Did you get a kind of a vibe? I always thought it was kind of like a versus fighter, right, and and it's so, but it was kind of, it played me like Space Harrier or Afterburner. But yeah. yeah, it's a bit of an, an interesting mix because, like, party is the kind of fighting game thing of like, knowing when to, which moves to use at which time and, like, your abilities kind of cooling down and getting getting the enemy's health down, but it's also like about navigating this big three D arena. Like you kind of you're you're dugging and diving between hundreds and hundreds of bullets that are coming out for the um, for the enemy, and you're kind of going behind cover. And it's it's completely like three D, so you've always got to like yeah, you kind of try to keep the enemy within your sights as well, um, and kind of get locked onto them so you can fire things at them. Is there any kind of convoluted fucking mech anime plot to this? Are you like the what the one world government fighting against the fucking Martians or Aye, some some Gundam nonsense. Right, so aye, it is it is a massive kind of sweeping uh, Gundam style um Japanese kind of narrative. And it was all explained and I think there was fourteen discs um audio drama discs that were released <laughs> in Japan that were never ever translated to English. Um, yeah, and these like, um, audio dramas and light novels and stuff. I didn't, I didn't really dive into that stuff. Yeah, um, it's just it's Japanese. I these have all been fanboy enough. To, it's so such an obscure like um, series of games that nobody's sort of went to bother to translate it, but they do exist. The one thing I, I would say that's interesting about the story of this is there's a kind of meta element to it. Like it, when you start up the arcade cabinet, it says, "I'm not actually an arcade cabinet." I'm a, a fight a, a mech training simulator which has been sent back in time um, for when this mech war happened and it's trying to identify future mech pilots. Mate, does this not tie back into the fucking Liberal Democrats but <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're well the ones that got they're, they're fucking when they're in control in the future in fucking 300 years Gee, time and next time they win I, an election they're fucking sending these yeah. things back getting them put in the leisure centres I think it, it lived them what to bring this machine in right make it out your price range so that it made you drive in school the one day be able to afford to play it and then when you play it it trains you to their standards you know I, the way the technology works is you can only travel between times when the Lib Dems were in control of the council <laughs> that year. <laughs> I don't understand the science, mate. Right? sympathetic characters would be like liberals and all the kind of ones you blew up would be like... <laughs> <laughs> they're, all based off, they're based off Lloyd George and that. <laughs> but um, I, what's quite interesting about this, um, oh my God, I go on about it every single episode, but... 
these arcade machines that I mean, Yu Suzuki right, was um, probably one of the most senior figures up there by Eugene Atka at Sega, and they actually used like most of the money they made for these machines. Shemu flopped dramatically. <laughs> I I don't think Virtualon was ever. It, it's never really popular outside uh, uh, Japan. <laughs> Uh, Japan, Japan and Greenock <laughs> for some reason um, there was like a lot of Japan only sequels in most of the games with the exception of one on the PS2 called Virtual on Mars which was more of a kind of one player action adventure game they were all arcade games and if, if they weren't the arcade games it was arcade ports like without this one is quite a bare bones port you've not got a kind of story mode you've not got like, a Tekken thing where you're unlocking characters or unlocking new modes of that. It's pretty much just you've got one player and two player and everything's available for the start. You've got to admire the balls, but these, like, some of these people that were booking arcade machines, I mean, the easy thing would be to go for Virtua Fighter 2, wouldn't it? Or Street Fighter 2 was still big at the time. This guy that's chosen this one's went, nah, man, nah, I'm going for a Virtual One. I wonder if he knew his shit or if he just went, nah, curveball. Well, I mean, if you think on it, Hector McNeil's had Street Fighter 2 and I believe The Simpsons. Aye, The Simpsons is when he visit that one. My dream is still to have Euphoria's fucking podcast. Euphoria's play the, the Simpsons game um, and restream it live. Well, you'll be Marge. Aye, I'll go Marge. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go anybody. I imagine she's got some sort of amazing hair move. She uh, she fights with a Hoover. It was it was just, it was a, a mere sexist time. <laughs> I should highlight that I just really fucking liked the graphics and the presentation. Of this I've mentioned for some games before. I think I think it was actually Panzer Dragoon Saga that like there's some type of games where like low or low res, low quality three D kind of suits it. Aye. Um, and I think this is one of them because it's these kind of big chunky robots. It kind of it just merges well with these big chunky. Um, polygons um, that you didn't have very many to throw about um, so yeah I think that they look quite they look quite cool they've got a lot of character to them and there's that those lovely trademark uh, Sega blue skies in a lot of the levels oh, I like um, that, I like that. Yeah. but it's interesting you brought up comfort and feeling seeing that because if you look at um, like, Ultra Fighter and this game and even like uh, the Tona USA I mean the day they use their very low polygon count to their advantage but at the same time, um, here comes Mick. Oh, how dare you? But uh, the PlayStation like, struggled with that at times. Like, the vibrancy of their polygons, are, but I don't know if it's the right word. Almost to the point where there was a sort of warping effect. But here, um, you know, even though uh, the Sega Saturn, the Model 2, wasn't made for 3D graphics, I don't think it was a Mate, I, 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 don't, I don't need to make any um, PlayStation versus Sega arguments to you. I just need to gesture at, at current games consoles that exist and say, oh, <laughs> where's, where's this? Where's the Sega one? I can't I see it. <laughs> I've got it underneath my telly. It's called the Sega Mega Drive Mini. <laughs> well, that's, here, that's, I'd rather have that than a fucking PS5 anyway, so you win, I suppose. Yeah, I guess my experience with, with this game was um, I was getting my arse kicked by it completely. Um, I switched to easy mode, which is a lot more easy to parse because the enemy isn't going as a million miles an hour as they are on medium mode. I was still getting my arse handed to me, trying a few different characters. Um, Hemjin is your most kind of generic one. Um, Fei Yen is the, the problematic, like weirdly gendered one um, <laughs> that has is a big pink heart in ponytails and fires love hearts at people, um, which I thought was a strange choice. 
That sounds like the best, you know, I'd be playing that all the time. There's a broke character that, that just, I don't know, probably your favourite one, had a spam move or something like that. Aye, so, yeah, the one I, I settled on, um, I, I went for, well, my second favourite one was in Viper 2, which is really fast and it can fire, just basically fire and forget, like, fucking hunters of bullets, so yeah, that was quite handy. Yeah, but, yeah, the one I settled on was Raiden, who was very slow, but had, like, really powerful, really powerful weapons. Um, when you hold in both buttons at the same time, normally with other characters, that's like a very short range attack, like a sword or a melee weapon. But this one is just this laser, and it just goes in a straight line, but if it hits the enemy, it can knock off like half of their health. So I was kind of cheaply like, starting off all the fights with that, because the enemy didn't know to, to escape it. Um, and then you can launch a few more rockets at things, and that would usually take them down. It seemed to just do a, a lot more damage than the other ones. Um, but it wasn't quite as fast, but that's fine, because, you know... It, this game is so fast that it's hard to um, to fucking control. Doesn't get much more Sega than Virtual One, right? What about the music, man? I think we should maybe put some music in this because Virtual One, one of its strong points, and one of the things that made you gravitate to it was sort of the that kind of Sega music. I, I mean, the music's quite cheesy, but it's the sort of stuff I like. It's pure, like, quite fast paced, um, a lot of synthesizers, um, a lot of big melodies and that, certain tribal beats and stuff. A lot of kind of percussion. I kind of think I've had a standout track at the moment, but I'll shop one in in the edit. Actually, the the, um, the campaign takes like an, an unusual twist because you find out halfway through it um, that the the virtual part of the game um, was going on. You were actually in virtual reality training for this operation that was happening on the moon. Um, so yeah, you, at some point it says simulation's over. Now it's now it's real life. Now your consciousness and that is actually getting put in one of these robots, and then you fuck off to the moon and start um, <laughs> start fighting for for real there. Um, and you fight the final boss, who's just a classic, super cheap um, boss that you can't you can't go as as a main character. Um, he's effectively, yeah, effectively invulnerable until one point where he's he's charging up this big gun, and that's the only kind of window of a, um, opportunity you get to attack him. But I was I was enjoying it, and I'm not sure there's like a you know, a big community for this game as there was as there is for like you know more popular fighting games that you your Street Fighters and your Tekkens, so I don't know if there's like a kind of, you know, folk researching new kind of high level ways of playing this, but it is one of those arcade ones where you 
you feel like it'll be worthwhile getting good at it. You feel like there's depths that you can learn and master. I would refer you back to the fucking Kingdom of the Rising Sun for that, probably, man. Japan is always where your fucking top-tier fighting game community shit is, and if the game was, like, a popular series through there, like, there are probably some fucking hardcore Japanese virtual on players in 2021, I would imagine. Also, if you look at Facts of Star, if you look at Facts of Star Online, um, especially in the Lee sections in this game, Facts of Star Online, a lot of the, like, the designs of the characters kind of... Especially in the later virtual on games, kind of resemble a lot of fans. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that that, that kind of art style, definitely that the kind of anime stuff and the bright colours and that that definitely comes through as well. Um, but I would recommend if you've got a kind of Saturn emulator um, set up, it's a good one to, to give a wee bash. You might not spend loads and loads of time with it, but it's a it's a different weekend of arcade experience. I would I'd recommend it. Two sticks. Make sure you get two sticks if you're going to play this game. It's no good. Play not on just a normal pad with a D-pad or whatever. You need to play us with two sticks. I would, the Xbox 360 controller was good, but as I said, um, yeah, hush, hush your hands after a while. So if you've got a, a job where you're doing a lot of typing, I would maybe shy away for it. If like McManamy, your granny won the lottery, by all means, pay £6.5 <laughs> for the, the game of the Saturn. But if not, I the Xbox pad should be the trick. And I I would also bear in mind that the Liberal Democrats are not your friends, they're Tory collaborators who are capitalists first and foremost. Before you swallow their their propaganda game, bear that in mind. I like Charles Kennedy. I think he would have got it to his tail. Okay. Charlie Kennedy would be fucking turning in his grave at this fucking mob. Um, so would fucking Paddy Pantsdown. Actually, as he did. Let's, um, let's, let's <laughs> not kid ourselves on, right? They're only getting that, so far because they're shite bags. That's it's actually the spinning of Charlie Kennedy in his grave that powers the time machine. <laughs> 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 well, this brings us on to our final game of the episode. The reason I picked Broken Sword for McMenemy. Now, I've since fucking thought about fucking 10 games that would have maybe been better suited to him. But me and Mick talk a lot about uh, Poirot, the um, Belgian detective. Um, so I thought I thought something kind of mystery, detective-like. And then I also thought about the kind of stories that uh, Mick used to tell you. Um, and the I could imagine him turning around to me and saying, I so I mean, I was seeing this uh, French reporter... And we we were investigating a Knights Templar, and a clown blew up a cafe, and um, there was a whirlwind romance. So I thought, <laughs> since that's a plot of broken sword, maybe you'll like it. Uh, I don't know how did you how did you get on with it? You've played a few point and clickies in the past. You you were saying you you were into your guy brush street and that, and everything was guy brush. Um, it was alright. What I didn't like about it was I didn't feel as though you could go wrong. Like, um, uh, take, just try to think of a certain, like, in, in the pub in Ireland, um, spoilers, you go to Ireland and it's quite offensive to any Irish people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's possibly the funniest bit in the game. Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's one of the guys at the bar who is, like, quite funny. <laughs> like, a guy who's, like, sort of on the far left. He's, he's, I'd, I'd have a pint with him. Everybody else pissed me off. <laughs> Especially that wee fucking twat hanging outside the pub, like a rent boy. What the hell is he doing out there? <laughs> <laughs> One for the watching. That's what, anyway. Um, yeah, so you go in there and you need to get, um, 
there's a fella you well, eventually he runs out and gets hit by a motor and all this sort of nonsense. But you need to get him out and then you need to pick up this fucking bit of string after some cheeky. You need to fix a dishwasher. And every time that I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure what to do now, I just knew all I had to do was go around everybody again and like speak to them all again or try all the different things in my inventory. Um, so much of it wasn't like um, a, a question of solving puzzles, but just a war of attrition. I'll try it three or four times and eventually it'll go. Clicking, clicking through the... The options that's got... Aye. That sort of comes a cropper when you when that guy won't let you go without taking his blood pressure. But even then, like once you've tried that four or five times and it's not worked, you're like, I'll just go back. I know if I go back, something obvious is going to become. And you you go downstairs, and that doctor's sitting there. And he's like, oh, I'll take him with you. And you're like, oh yeah. It, like, there was no. The only thing that I would not have got is that stupid fucking goat thing. And the only reason I got that is because you kept texting me drunk saying you got the goat yet. <laughs> so I fucking knew it was going to be a, bel- a bit of a belter and I just looked it up because I couldn't be honest with it by that point I suppose with these games like you kind of mentioned that it's uh, some of the puzzles are a bit kind of like detective themed like you kind of do, try to solve mysteries and stuff like that and there are kind of more modern like detective type games where you actually have to use your own deduction to maybe figure out who the killer is and you can get it wrong and you get punished for it whereas with these games you know it's there is puzzle solving, but it's more linear in a sense that you know you just you'll get the right answer and then you move on to the next right answer. It's um, it's a wee bit like that fucking to tie it back to Andy's favourite Shenmue. You're following fucking breadcrumbs for a bit at the start you know what it'll be like um you find a bit of a guy's jacket and oh there's a label on it for this shop so you go right i better go to this shop and then that guy will tell you oh that guy was in earlier he said he was going to this fucking cafe or whatever and you go to the kind of next place and talk to that person i found it all quite charming to be honest although i get that it's no really it's not really heavy on the game side of things yeah it was like Almost like a, a visual novel sort of thing. Yeah. Another thing that annoyed me is the first couple of Frenchmen you speak or speak in a French accent and then they just give up on that once you come back to <laughs> Ireland and everyone sounds yeah. like a fucking cockney. It's <laughs> <That is> bizarre. <laughs> I like that in films, like the, the the girl with the dragon tattoo was a bad one, like the, the American remake. Um, you had some actors that went full pelt with the, the best Swedish accent and some that didn't bother in the slightest. <laughs> the Sean Connery rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the island bit, to go back to that, and how it was a wee bit full of fucking offensive stereotypes. I've got to get some plaudits because it is the only video game that I've played in my puff that has got a puzzle about benefit fraud in it, which to, <laughs> to me is just a fucking beautiful thing. Andy, there's a guy at the boozer and you're trying to find out whether he worked on this archaeological dig site because you're trying to track down a hidden gem. And he keeps going, oh, no, no, mate, I wasn't working there at the time. No, don't, don't know what you're talking about type thing. But other cunts keep going, he was working there. So you're like, why is he lying about it? And it turns out, because don't like, fraud. Just take his word for it. <laughs> so that's why he's lying he to you. Get, I thought that was... Doesn't he want a social to catch him? I thought that was great. Um, I never finished it. I uh, just got a bit... I got the point, I didn't care. I don't care who the clown guy was. Well, you find out who the clown guy is, I suppose. You just don't know why he's doing it. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to know if he gets his end away with the wee journalist. I presume he does. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I mean... I got up with Adventure Games 2. It's like, 
I've got it right now. I've mentioned I played, I'm playing Grim Fandango. That's just not a million miles away. Uh, Grim Fandango is a better game. Uh, I like Broken Sword, don't get me wrong. Um, I'll, I'll maybe try and uh, balance out McMenemy's lackey enthusiasm with a bit of enthusiasm. I wouldn't say it's the best one ever, but I, 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 there's fun to be had with it. I like the Monkey Island games, and they're not that different. Right, Monkey Island, if you're, if you're a bit stuck, just you know, go back try something different, come back again. It's not that different. But it it, um, it was funny. It had characters that I liked. Aye. I mean, the whole... I, I was playing this with the missus, actually, because, you know, she's watching the Poirot way, isn't that? And the whole way through it, she's just like, why is everyone talking to this fucking American? Like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> surely at some point, like, who the fuck... You're not the fucking Polish. Fuck off. But she was just outraged at it. No, I'm not playing games for, like... The realism most of the time, um, apart from the obvious ones like Dizzy, but there was a bit of, bit of that. It's like he it wasn't a nice guy. It was just no, you did go American twat. You did go through a lot of Europe, and he doesn't get enough abuse by far. One of the only examples I can think of is that when you try to walk away at the very start after the pub's blown up, a policeman fucking draws a gun on you. And you say, I'm innocent, I'm American. And he says, you can't be both, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like the um, the big uh, horny English woman just firing into you. She was a good laugh. Yeah, she was She was pretty good crack. You know what this is making me think? The ideal adventure game protagonist would be Louis Theroux. So, <laughs> <Yes>. like, <laughs> people just like, people open, open up to him. You know, he's so non-threatening, but he's smart as well. <laughs> I think it's because he looks like Shaggy at Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so, this this is your standard kind of point-and-click adventure fair. You're picking up inventory object uh, items and you're talking to folk. The plot-wise, bizarrely, it is fucking inspired by a bestseller for the 80s called The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, which most people know nowadays as the basis for the Da Vinci Code. Ah. Yeah, so this is the one that kind of posited that... Uh, the Holy Grail wasn't a, a cup, but it was more, it was to do with the blood, the bloodline of Jesus. Yeah. It was San, San Grial, meaning, ho- I think, holy blood or royal blood. I mean, shite bags that they are don't put any of the Jesus stuff in the game, but they more focus on the stuff that, I guess the book goes into Knights Templar a good bit, because the the primary conspiracy theory in this is about the, the Knights Templar and the uh, the assassins, or the, the Hashashin, as they get called yeah. in the game. I think that like that a lot of conspiracies about how the next Templar never went away. I think this one ties into like them being the actual keepers of the, the Holy Grail, which in this instance is the descent of Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of kind of they figure a lot in conspiracy theories because they kind of like disappeared. They were very powerful and then they disappeared in quite short order. But folk seem to reckon they survived to do the various things in the modern times. Well, see, this also. Brings me to an interesting point. Um, McMenemy, you don't sound too fussed about spoilers, but um, if anybody does fancy playing this, I'm going to get spoiler heavy here. The ending of this game arguably posits a conspiracy theory that is offensive to Scottish people. <laughs> please, please tell us more. Basically, the Templars left these various relics and um, if once you've deciphered them all and you know gone around the globe finding them all, this will point to where the, you know, the Templar secret fucking hiding place was for the broken sword that you're trying to find, which is actually an energy source called the Sword of Baphomet. Anyway. Well, is Baphomet not, like, 
scene? Yeah, um, the <laughs> the Spanish Inquisition got them to say that they were worshipping this thing called Baphomet, which was just like an avatar for the devil, and then like hung them on, bumped them to death. <laughs> but then this game also, I guess, kind of offensively says, no, the Baphomet was real, so I guess presumably <laughs> Spanish Inquisition, also good guys, according to Broken Sword. No one expects that. Well, it's a, it's a good Catholic game. Um, <laughs> but um, no, so once you've deciphered all the fucking... Because I I had forgotten the ending, and then one of the clues said something about the... It was a Bible passage that made reference to a lion and a unicorn. And I went, oh, Britain, British passport, uh-huh. And then eventually it fucking led you to Bannockburn in Scotland. Aye? Yes, um, because there is a conspiracy theory that was popularised in Victorian England that the Knights Templar, they didn't all get wiped out by King Louis or King Philippe or whoever the fuck. Some of them fucking went into hiding and a lot of them fucking went and laid low in Scotland because of the political situation. Scotland was like an ideal place to fucking lay low and that Robert the Bruce had fucking secret ties with the Templars and that's the only way that we were only we were able to win fucking the Battle of Bannockburn is that fucking secret fucking... Yeah, Knights, yeah, Knights, secret Knights Templar showed up and gave us honours. <laughs> I used to that guy in IBM that, who used to tell us that story. I think I've never heard of the Shiltron, nah. Exactly. <laughs> it's fucking... That's how we won the war. It was the Shiltron and the lightsaber. Those two combined <laughs> yeah. perfect weapons for... Did the Anunnaki not show up and all? And like, shows away? Why, No, we, we didn't use the landscape to our advantage. It was actually the blood of Christ that gave us the draw in that, that battle. Um, <laughs> fucking the, the edge in that battle, rather. But yeah, the... The end, in, the end section of the game, you're on a train to Scotland and there's like drunk Geordies and stuff. It's okay. It's I, I, Again, I found it kind of amusing. No laugh out loud, funny like Monkey Island, but it was all right. I mean, that, that's a bit of realism there because I've been in a train to Scotland lots of time and there are often drunk Geordies. Aye, there's a, there's, there's a couple of wrecked Newcastle fans and you talk to them and they're like, ah, we're getting a train to Newcastle and you're like, we passed that two hours ago, mate. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> so the train are they fucking on? It's only like an hour and a half to Edinburgh for Newcastle. Yeah. You're <laughs> joking. <laughs> Fuck knows. What is this infamous goat puzzle and how does it compare to the other puzzles in the game? Um, right, so you, you climb up over a wall into a castle and there's a goat there and when you try to go past the goat the goat runs over and hits you doesn't kill you just knocks you on your arse uh, right. you try everything in your inventory and the goat doesn't have any it. you can go around on the left and try getting around that way but then the goat comes at you as well the only way to get past the goat is to wait for the goat to hit you as soon as it hits you go and click on the other way around and then you run over and you grab this stick and that tethers the goat. You get the goat to tangle itself up, but the confusion being there is no run button in Broken Sword, there is no indication <laughs> that clicking this way and this fucking this way is going to make them suddenly spring up and run. Um, yeah, basically, you don't quick. you don't 
yeah, you don't realise that this is an option. It's There are no other puzzles in the game that come beforehand that teach you how to do this, nor is there anything after. It's a bizarre fucking anomaly in the middle of the game. And it's got to say in fucking Wikipedia article, I'm pretty sure, just because right. the whole puzzle is so fucking infamous. It's a kind of worse offence than just having like a puzzle that is confusing logic because it's a kind of breaks its own rules. It breaks the rules of the game a wee bit. Oh, fuck. The Rincewind, what's he for again? Um, the Terry Pratchett ones. That's oh, cool. Like I'll play them. I know about them. The, the, those like um, had the point and click games and some of those were uh, fucking ridiculous like if you'd read the books it made a bit more sense but it'd be like oh how am I going to get past this giant mouse oh fuck that's right I'll need to put my balaclava on and sing Al Jolson it's like <laughs> <laughs> some, something like oh yeah it makes sense now and people go nuts at that like how are you supposed to know this and it's like but at least it's consistent it's consistently fucking uh, ridiculous yeah or at least, even if it's not consistently ridiculous, it's the same idea. It's like you speaking to people and asking them questions and giving them things for your inventory. And this is just nothing like the rest of it. But that guy drops his um, bit of string and you can pick it up, but it makes it very clear that he's dropped it and you need to get it before he picks it up again. You know the old, the old boy in the bar? I've got exactly the same thing right now with Grim Fadango. Like, I'd, I'd figured out... One bit you've got to put fucking uh, a balloon with filled with embalming fluid, does whatever it is, foam, doing a tube. But I've done that, and then it's it's moved on. The story's moved on, but then the story moves on a bit. But then it goes back to a bit before. So has it moved on? I don't know, and it gets confusing, man. Ah, adventure games get me too, man. My least favourite puzzle in Broken Sword, which, by the way, you might think that Ireland is the most offensive section in the game. Uh, I will raise you Syria. Um, okay, <laughs> I've not been so there you do eventually go to Syria. There is a puzzle that you go to a secret pub and you kind of get into the lavvy and the guy says he's, he's pissed off because his toilet brush has gone missing. Somebody's bumped it. He brought a brand new toilet brush. And when you walk you walk back down to the Toon Square and one of the big lads at a market stall, you can see he's basting his kebabs with a toilet brush. So I'm like that, right? You, oh need to just, sake. you need to just walk up and fucking take it off his stall when he's not looking or talk to him and mention the toilet brush. But I'm talking to him and there's no way to mention the toilet brush. There's no way to pick up the toilet brush or interact with it. Eventually, I have to fucking Google it as well, look up a solution. If you right-click on somebody rather than doing the interact button, it just looks at them. So you have to look at them first, and then the character goes, hold on a minute, that's the toilet brush. But as the fucking player, I had already clocked the toilet brush. I don't know, it was just kind of counterintuitive and annoying. That is a bit annoying. Hannah's here now, if you want yeah. to hear her thoughts on the game. <laughs> fucking... Ah, Hannah. Why are you Could you want to tell the boys about what you thought of Broken Sword? It was just a bit, hello everybody. Um, it was- Hi Hannah, <laughs> um, uh, hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. Um, this is uh, our, our next guest, Hannah. Please uh, tell us what you thought. Welcome. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> um, Broken Sword was a bit frustrating for me because I grew up playing games like Myst and I liked those kind of choose-your-own-adventures where you can get to a dead end and it's game over, you know, you're dead. Whereas I felt like with Broken Sword, persistence and perseverance got you there eventually. If you kind of fiddled around enough, there were, you, you would always come to a solution. You just kind of kept putting one foot in front of the other. 
Aye, um, do you know what there I was mean? a there was a push there was a push to make fucking adventure games player friendly. There were like competing studios, and there was one called Sierra, and they made fucking yeah. adventure games where you died loads, and mm-hmm. you could fucking pick up the rang hanger, use the rang hanger, and then lose it forever, and you would just have got bet and have to start the fucking entire thing again. Yeah, I wanted to get stuck. Yeah, no, I I just feel like fucking I don't know. I I like the. I guess I'm a fucking baby when it comes to these things. You like the reward. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yes. I, just, I think probably when I was a kid, I was too young to be playing Myst. It was probably more kind of my dad's thing. But I do remember being kind of stuck with all those complex puzzles. Do you know what I mean, Myst? Did you play that game, Myst with a Y? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just kind of felt with, with Broken Sword, it was just kind of like, yeah, f- you know, chasing your tail and back to the hotel and talking to them and back to you, that creepy girl you're stalking on and he was just so American as well everyone was kind of like piss off you fucking American get your nose out of this investigation then we went to Ireland and then we were back in France in a jiffy I felt like let's stick around and have an Irish stew you know we haven't had any mashed potatoes I didn't know why we were rushing back to France in a hurry I didn't and we finally got into that wee cave <laughs> no, but it's a cultural experience, you know. We've travelled all that way. We've gone to that cave, and then we saw that tapestry, and we were out of it. I wanted to poke around there a little bit more, you know. Yeah, it it doesn't really it doesn't really fucking get involved with the local culture as much. It just kind of kicks about being loud and American. Yeah, that said, we didn't actually complete the game, um, and I've been resisting just reading the Wikipedia page because I do want to have a resolution, but I don't think I can bear six more hours of it. Well, well, Mick, Mick now knows spoilers, um, so he, he can maybe tell you he's in peril. <laughs> no, they're saying you know, though. All right, I'll pop you back on to Mick. Thanks for having me. Bye. Hannah, thanks Bye. very much. Cheers. Cheers. So next week you're going to get Hannah on to play Mist by sounds it. <laughs> well, here, by the way, fucking Hannah can come back on anytime she wants. She's, um, she's very fucking... Uh, podcast friendly I guess she, she sounded like a pro it's like when you're not from Scotland you like speak to people as though they're human beings <laughs> <laughs> one wee bit of fucking curiosity about this game I would like to mention before we wrap up is the fucking the animation style it very much looks like a fucking kind of Disney knockoff did you notice this at all McManamy um, not really you mentioned it to me and then you told me a bit more about it and when you told me more about it I can see. Well, I see where you're coming from. Where your next sentence is? <laughs> Aye, they um, they poached a load of fucking animators for this fella Don Bluth, who was a Disney animator, and then fucking infamously went off in his own and made fucking Land Before Time and Secret of Nim and stuff like this. Um, it looks a wee bit like that fucking Anastasia movie in the nineties they made, which is just kind of like an ex Disney animator fucking copying what they were doing. Um, but Broken Sword fucking poached a load of fucking animators from the Sullivan Bluth Animation Studio, or Bluth rather, which was his fucking studio in Ireland. So quite bizarrely, given how fucking <laughs> offensive the Irish section was, there was actual Irish people working on this fucking game as well. Just on the French parts though. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Today is uh, St. Columbus Day, um, which, uh, as well as like being a feast for Catholics um, who choose him as their saint, is also a day where uh, Gaelic and Gaelic speakers celebrate the cultural links between the two languages. Oh, Columba was an Irish monk that came to Scotland, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, he brought. it's his fault. He brought Christianity here. 
Well, can I fucking blow your mind? He was also a fucking Knights Templar, and the Sword of Baphomet was actually Columbus Willie. Um, that is that is what you find in Bannockburn at the end of Broken Sword. It's um, also, I thought I know you mentioned Plato either. I thought Peter Falk done an excellent job as Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> McMenemy, um just to, to grant your wish of the, the, the particular spoiler you wanted to know, at the end, um, after you have successfully topped the Knights Templar by blowing up Columbus Willie, uh, the, you do you day get a wee win, winch with the French bird. They, yeah. they get together at the end. There you go. Does, I'm, does um, she even leave her flat at any point? Or do you need to go all the way back to fucking France for that? Because while I'm running the booty and everything, she's sitting there going, she's just, yeah. She never fucking leaves a guy. And then see, sometimes I thought I thought to phone her up for a hint, and she would be like, "Do not bother me, George. I am busy." I would. I'm fucking climbing up walls to try to get out of castles. What are you doing? You've not left your fucking gaff once. Well, she's uh, only fucking anyway. agoraphobic reporter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, she's she's on a train with you. She she kind of kicks about with you during that whole end section. Also, if you play the the remastered version, which I did encourage you not to do because I, I don't like the fucking graphic style they add about an extra two hours onto the game where you play as her what just sitting down Sudoku in the house just... waiting for me to finish <laughs> <laughs> I presume so but um, well I mean fucking thanks very much for joining us man it's been a oh, fucking for having me on. a live lively discussion and but and also fucking uh gay hannah thanks for also being a fucking uh, fifth guest on today's episode Morantang, Hannah. <laughs> uh, well, lads, um, that oh, has Andy Mac just disappeared? Yeah, he's like fuck it. Yes. Well, he's pissed out. Um, McMenemy, I mean, you can be Andy. Um, right, right, that just leaves us for what does um, Andy. Usually, do at the end was was very Andy about it. Well, we, well he, he, he's another hour long diversion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll leave you I'll leave you on this right. I've got a few words I need to say before we go. Um, in in right. the world of music, there is only one Mozart. In the world of art, there is only one Picasso. In the world of football, there is only one Phil Canny. <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll need to leave that in. Um, <laughs> hashtag release, release the Philip Canny tapes. Um, but no, it was. it's just... Uh, we're at the point where we swap our games at the end. So uh, McCormick... Next time you'll be playing, I'm bringing it back to another Japanese role-playing game for Enix. You've got a uh, Seventh Saga. Oh, nice. There you go. Um, so Andy Mac um, yes. inhabiting the body of McMenemy, and you're going to be playing a game which I had a lot of fun with back in the PS1 days, but I have no idea if it's actually good or not. Uh, medieval. Oh, that no. is a classic. I can't wait. Um, and Mick, um, Andy has already told me that I'm to play Sylvester and Tweety KJ Capers, and um, we'll get will we get McMenemy the final word here as our guest? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Um, <laughs> still going. I don't know why you can't hear Mick. I can hear him fine. Yeah. Well, he's not speaking right now. 
I can't hear Andy either. Well, well, let's just. I'm sure it's picking up more mics anyway. So if we if we let McMenemy have the have the final say on this yes. episode, whatever juvenile shite you want to drop in before we sign off, and then record scratch. Alright, um, the people are mightier than a lord. Yes! <laughs> He's like,